0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hi,
1: I'm Simon Hughes. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. And today I think we're going to be reflecting a bit on the season as a whole. The fallout from the Ben Stokes incidents of continued to roll and obviously uh, he's out of the tour at the moment as we speak but I think there's a lot more that we can talk about this summer the things that have happened it's been an endless summer but a summer of great achievement as well.
2: Yeah I'm Simon Mann the Stokes issue dominated last week's episode it seems strange to be reviewing the season almost at the middle of October but that was the nature of the season it was the longest season in the history of English cricket and all sorts of momentous things happened the first ever pink ball day night test match sold-out Women's World Cup final. The television contract put in place for the new city-based T20 tournament in 2020. Momentous summer. That was just sort of things that sort of were around the game. What about, you know, actually things that happened on the field as well? Some incredible things. Jimmy Anderson's 500th wicket. West Indies' remarkable victory at Headingley. Moe and hat Hattrick to end the Test match. Also in this episode, later on, we're going to reveal the most successful county... Since two divisions came into place as well, so keep listening for that. That's quite a surprising answer because two divisions have now been going for
1: 17 years, and I suppose you could say they've they've had a, a good impact on the game overall. Is, is county cricket any better than it was in my day when we only had one division? I'm not sure. Actually, I, I think that we had a lot more high quality players in the in the sort of 1980s and 90s from overseas, and obviously we had the England Test players playing in the county championship as well. Nowadays. Most test players don't get the chance to play much counter cricket. Although, of course, Alastair Cook had a big influence on on Essex's early success this summer. I mean, it has been a, a summer of momentous achievement. Of course, you know the South African series was was very interesting as well and very well contested for certainly the first half of it. It seems like an eons ago since we were watching Vernon Philander teasing the ball left and right and through the gate, and Keaton Jennings was struggling to locate it but yeah i mean it's been it's been interesting. I suppose it's been a bowler friendly summer overall for certainly in the test matches.
2: Where do you think the game is let's let's look at the international game first where Where is the game? there's all, people coming up with all sorts of ideas for the future of the game. Mike Atherton wrote a piece in the in The Times last week about you know suggested format for the future of the game the i c c are going to be meeting later this year discussing the possibility of a a test championship coming in. The debate is raging over five day test cricket or four day test cricket the m c c backing five-day test cricket for lots of people like you know like Jeffrey Boycott Michael Vaughan people like that saying four-day test cricket I know you're an advocate of four-day test well, cricket not, as well. where, where do you think where do you think the, the game is the moment is it in a healthy state I mean when you look back you know sometimes when you look back you see these articles don't you it says you know the game is in crisis you know falling participation Uh, You know, it will not survive. And you look at the date of the article, it's, you know, the 4th of June, 1910. You know, the the rumours of the death of cricket uh, seem always to have been there going back in time. But where where do you think it is at the moment?
1: I think that it's still in flux, and it will be until some sensible decisions are made. And the trouble with the ICC is it's a, a byword for procrastination. So often these ideas are put on the table and then they're fudged and not actually followed through with. I think, you know, the World Test Championship has to happen to give these test matches context and just to give people a a concept of where every team is and how you measure their performance. And it will focus administrators then on who they play against, when they play the games and and who they pick for the games as well. And I think it might also draw more of the T20 strays into test cricket. Look at at Chris Gayle. He's more interested in playing for the West Indies now than he was a year or two ago. And that, it, by giving the test cricket a bit more importance and a bit more sort of global recognition, because there's a test championship, it's going to draw more interest. So that's the key decision they have to make to, for me. And then everything else will follow through. Obviously, T20 cricket has taken off massively. And in a place like India, it's, it's sort of revitalised the game. It's doing the same in the Caribbean. Uh, and it's probably doing the same in, in South Africa to an extent as well, although I see the, their first T20 tournament is going to lose money mm. in in its first year. But that's inevitable, and it'll happen for the ECB as well when that new tournament comes in in 2020. It, it's the answer to, to get more people interested in the game. I feel that, that at domestic level, things are happening. Uh, you know, All-Stars Cricket, this initiative of the ECB seems to be working, and... I think 40,000 kids bought into that this summer and they're looking, trying to get it to 100,000 next summer. So that's great news. So it's sort of, it's an odd one, isn't it? In the middle there, you know, county membership is probably stalling, but at the bottom
2: and the top of the game, it's pretty, pretty healthy, I'd say. Mm. I just have the sense that the game is at a crossroads at the moment, I and mean, I don't know, you know how long people are going to be waiting at the crossroads for. It might be, you know, when you wait for a bus for twenty four hours, you never quite know where it's going to turn up. It just feels like that we're not quite sure where we are at the moment. We don't quite know what the impact of twenty twenty cricket is going to be on the, the the game as we've known it, i.e., Test cricket. I mean, here's a question for you. I mean, it's you know, what is the point of Test cricket? Can we not just say in the future? I'm not. I'm not necessarily. I'm putting this forward as my own view, but but I'm, it's, it's a worthwhile question to ask. Can we just say in the future they'll just be short form cricket, and that's that's the way it will be. There will be no Test cricket because people don't have time for it anymore. Ultimately, people have grown. We've grown up with it, but people younger than us, much younger than us, I think this is the point. Kevin Peterson was making in a newspaper interview over the weekend that that people don't have the time for it anymore, and eventually, when people like you and I pass on, there will not be the people behind us to sort of keep that idea of Test cricket going, what there will be, of course, people who've grown up with 2020 and all the excitement surrounding that, and that will be the, the form of the game that just takes over. I mean, is there, a, is there a realistic future for Test cricket 30, 40 years down the road? That seems to me where we are. That's one of the sort of philosophical questions. That's where we are, one of the, the crossroads at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think that the, the debate about whether Test cricket will survive has been going on for 50, 60 years. Every 10 years they ask that question and it's still here. It's a bit like newspapers. Are newspapers going to yeah. be here in another 10 years? They probably are. There's been a bit of resurgence. Some of the broadsheet titles are, are coming back again into fashion. Are magazines going to be in, in circulation in 10, 15 years' time? Well, my magazine, the Cricketer, <laughs> the one I edit, is, is doing better than it has for, for a few years. So you know, I think people will still latch to the idea of test cricket. We heard Joe Root on our podcast last week, saying his favorite form of the game is yeah. Test cricket, and the more you get players who are who feel they're challenged by Test cricket, the more people will come and watch it also in England, I think Test cricket is fine because it's an event it's It's one of the sort of events of the summer, the Test matches in Lords at the Oval, Trent bridge, Old Trafford. you know there are people come every year, they meet their friends there it's very well staged there's lots of sort of side shows, entertainment going on people just love to go for the buzz of the Test match as well as the match itself. So I think in England, Test cricket's going to be fine for a good good decade and a half, maybe two decades, but who can see any further than that?
2: Around the rest of the world, it's impossible to say. I suppose it depends what form that Test cricket takes, whether it's going to be... Day, night, test cricket, pink ball, test cricket, four-day test cricket. That, I mean, That's probably the debate, isn't it? Not, not so much will test cricket continue, but in, in what, what form? form? Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's where we are at the moment. And it is up to the – I suppose the, it's up to people to have ideas as well mm. about how yeah. the game can be played in the future. What is viable? What sort of test championship are we are going to be looking at? How do you fund it? Because I'm, my big thing is I think you can make it survive. You can give it something. If you, if you do make a proper, coherent format – where you pay the players properly so that they really want to play. I mean, that point you made about Chris Gale, if you, if you get the players wanting to play it and really committed to it, not just with their eyes on the, the big bucks in, in T20 leagues, then you can keep it going. Yeah, and in a way, it's not all about
1: money. And I think, you know, certainly, the older players, unless they feel. But what they're... about the
2: new players growing up, though? If, you, if, you, if they're not being paid mm. to play, you know, if they're not making money, you know in Sri Lanka or New Zealand yeah. if they're not making money playing cricket they will look to T20 leagues it is sort of about money in a way the whole world is about well, money I, I know in some sense
1: I know obviously the whole world is about money but what I meant was that the older players some of them get tempted by the money and then they find that actually it's not as stimulating as they thought just playing
2: T20 yeah. all the time because the thing about... Because it's not. Because it just isn't, is yeah. it? It's not as stimulating. It's no. Not, it's a different, it is a different sort of challenge, but that it's not quite as stimulating. Joe Root
1: said on the podcast last week, and other players have said it too, that it challenges your soul and your character as much as it does your technique. That's why I think Peterson is so gripey, really, because you know he has been just a T20 player for the last five years. Partly his fault, and partly that England fell out with him sort of thing. But I think, secretly he'd loved to be playing test cricket because he knew how much that challenged him. Mm. Well, that's the international game. Um, we haven't really answered your question, in a way. What sort of format of uh, is Test Match going to take in five years' time? I, I think there's a fair chance it's going to be four-day tests. I'd quite like Geoffrey Boycott's argument, actually, that you'd, you'd have thought he would be a five-day... Uh, ar- no,
2: he's not, is he? He's no,
1: not. No. He, he thinks four-day cricket, and he says cricket's always evolved you know from four ball overs to six ball overs to eight ball overs no two stumps three stumps 22 yard pitch has always stayed the same bats getting bigger different formats of the game 40 overs 20 overs etc so DRS yeah I mean so it's always evolved and I think he just thinks that four day cricket is a more sensible pragmatic format for the administrators for the spectators and for the players and it does make a lot of sense but they've got to make sure they
2: get the overs in mm. uh, well absolutely i mean the other thing about of course going back you know when west indies used to uh, roll out their four fast bowlers used to about 72 overs in the day because they used to they used to just keep them going all four of them richards would bowl about two or three overs mm. but they, they you couldn't get the fast bowlers bowling 90 95 no. overs in a day
1: I, I mean the other man who's going to have an influence on this is mike gatting who is a very great supporter of five-day test cricket and he's the the chairman of the, the MCC World Cricket Committee has taken over from Mike Brearley on that role, and of course the only reason he wants five day Test cricket is because he can <laughs> eat five lunches.
2: You see, it's all to, it's all to do with food in the end. The joke just rolls out, it just rolls, rolls. out so easily, doesn't it? With, with Gat? Anyway, what what uh, that's that's the international game. What about the the domestic game? We come to the end of a domestic season. Uh, I mean, a remarkable incident towards the end with you know Somerset just seeing off Middlesex, and Middlesex is complaining about the loss of those yeah. two points at the Oval with the crossbow being. But but what sort of state is the the county game in
1: well I mean if you look at the the finances it's it's struggling and I've never understood why counties argue against the the 2020 game that they're bringing in in 2020 because it's going to give them a 1.3 million windfall obviously some counties I think Worcestershire is an interesting example of a county that uh, David Leatherdale ran for some years, chief executive, and they turned a potential real loss into quite a successful business by realising the assets of their ground and creating hospitality and uh, corporate business uh, kind of facilities so that it could be a a facility used 200 days a year rather than only 50 days a year for cricket. It was almost like a cricket ground within a, a a much larger business Operation, so some counties have been successful, but still a lot of them are in huge
2: debt because of the stadia improvements they've had to make. Worcestershire is an an interesting example because also they've got promotion to the first division as well. I know in the in the cricketer you've sort of statistically broken down that the past season, and one of the interesting things you've you've discovered is that in terms of coal pack players, which I know is a controversial issue, in terms of coal pack players, Worcestershire have been. the least tempted to play cold pack players?
1: Yes, there's a list here which actually is compiled by Neville Scott, a very good comprehensive analysis of the season in different ways. And what he's done is he's worked out each county's number of overseas players and coal pack players that they've used throughout the season, how many matches each of those players has played, how many days they've spent on the field. And he's figured that Worcestershire have only got 9% player days were players born outside England. Whereas some counties, notably Glamorgan and Hampshire, you wouldn't be surprised to know, over 50% of their player days were players
2: born outside England, both overseas and coal packs. Let's answer that question that we posed at the the start of the podcast about the most successful county since two divisions. The answer is? It's Lancashire, which is surprising,
1: isn't it? Uh, It's based on the idea of adding together all their finishing positions through the last 17 years and they've got the lowest number so it's a bit like golf the lower the score the the higher you are in the table and Lancashire are first uh, Warwickshire are second Yorkshire are third the bottom counties I suppose won't surprise
2: people too much Derbyshire, Bottom, Glamorgan, Leicestershire, Gloucestershire, North Ants. Of course Lancashire although they're top they've only won one championship whereas other counties have won more championships Uh, Yorkshire won three but they're in in third place with 113 points Sussex
1: are a a success story aren't they they're the only county I think that have won the championship twice as a non-test venue since the the two divisions and Peter Moores obviously takes a lot of credit for that but you know sort of small resources they should be very proud of that fourth in that table
2: One of the things I feel though about county cricket is we're all waiting we're waiting we're waiting for 2020 aren't we when I say 2020, I mean the yeah. year 2020. Yeah. Where that new competition is going to be formed. We're just waiting, waiting to see the impact it's going to have, which won't be felt to start with. It'll be felt, I don't know, two, three, five, ten years down the line. That, that's what I feel, is it, it, that sense of being at the crossroads, that we're, we're waiting to see what's going to happen rather than things that are actually happening. I think a lot of people are dreading it. In, in fact, a lot of the traditional county
1: members because they feel that the, the county game will be decimated And that they'll be forced to watch 50 over cricket with a bunch of sort of 20 year olds who are not very good or who are aspiring but but have no real credibility. And it's a shame to look at it like that, because I think that it it will hopefully really crystallise the game in this country for a period of five weeks. It'll be the only big show in town and you know uh, through the season normally there's there's so many conflicting attractions with a test match on and a T20 blast on a Friday and you see someone like Nasser Hussain dashing from a test match at Trent Bridge to a T20 game in Leicester or something like that on a Friday night sky sort of trying to cover both and this T20 tournament should be the the only thing going on for most of it and it will draw in all the all the great players from around the world as well as all the England players I think it should be a real celebration of the game. And hopefully it will create a new audience and it will get cricket on live on the BBC with all these brilliant players that, that England have. You know, the, the, Obviously the Ben Stokeses and Joe Roots and Moen Allies, we'll be able to see them on, on BBC TV. That's amazing.
2: As long as they're not playing test matches at the same time. Though.
1: Well, as long as they're not. <laughs> but that, that's the up to the administrators to make sure that, that doesn't,
2: there isn't a clash. Yeah, Well that, that's not going to be as easy as it sounds no. there's going to have to be some international cricket during that period because you, there is so much international cricket played but there does need to be that, that focus on it I suppose for it to work anyway the point is we've got to wait for it we don't mm. quite know what's going to happen and the, the reason we have to wait for it basically is because of television contracts isn't it because the contract with Sky ran until 2019 they couldn't come to an agreement about bringing it in earlier so they had to abide by those contracts and as indeed most of the time you have to that's why the, the wait has, has happened, and of course the, the county's arguing about it as well, and deciding whether they were going to accept it okay, well that's a look at where the game is at the moment. You all have your ideas out there actually we're in the cricketer magazine
1: we're we're conducting a bit of a campaign to find out what people really do think about four day and five day test cricket, and then if there's a strong enough view, we'll take that to the ECB and say, "Look, the English public have spoken and and here are their views, so please. Send the uh, tweets into either The Analyst or cricket underscore man and, uh, and we'll try and respond to as many of those as we can.
2: And don't forget you can subscribe to The Analyst inside Cricket. You'll get the programme automatically each week. Just click on the button where it says subscribe and then leave, do leave those uh, reviews as well. OK, after the break, we're going to look back at our highlights of the season. Well, welcome back. In the first half, we talked about where the game is. Let's have a look back at the season some of our Highlights of the season. We touched on it at the start of this podcast. Uh, it, there were some remarkable events during the season. I think probably the thing that really stuck in my mind, Moen Ali, that hat-trick that won the Oval Test match, and incredible finishes. Everyone looked up to the board to see the review the last South African batsman and that brilliant hitting from Moen at Bristol as well, that sensational hitting and also at the Oval as well where he played that incredible innings to win the, the one day international against West Indies, against the Odds and against Duckworth Lewis as well.
1: And it was the first hat-trick at the Oval in a Test match for something like 60 years, which is amazing really, considering all the extraordinary bowlers they've had there, for him to do it and to finish the game off with
2: it. So what was your highlight of the summer then?
1: Obviously, the Women's World Cup was, was fantastic. I, I, I regret that I wasn't at the final because I was on holiday in Greece and we were actually watching it from the hotel balcony, probably illegally, on a, on a mobile phone. And um, it was absolutely fantastic. You could even get the atmosphere 5,000 miles away on a mobile phone. It was It was stunning. And I was so pleased for the England women that they won. I was so pleased with the game that they won because I think the more women that are interested in cricket, the more they'll get boys and girls playing the game because, as I've said before, 85% of primary school teachers are women. So it was a fantastic result for the game as much as it was the women's game. But I suppose my highlight was was, was Jimmy Anderson's 500th wicket, partly a personal thing. I followed Jimmy's career really from the, the moment he started, even before he played for England, and I just saw something in him which I really liked. The lithe run-up and this... Beautiful, fluid action and the late swing both ways and the confidence to try and make the ball swing both ways. It, it really brought me back to my youth when I was 19. I wanted to be a bowler like that and I could swing the ball both ways. I just didn't have his control or his skill. But that's exactly the kind of bowler I would have wanted to be in my dreams. And to see him take his 500th test wicket, a fast bowler, You know, I'm thinking I bowled for something like 13, 14 years professional cricket, my knees are shot to bits, you know, so they could, they're like Rice Krispies packets. I worked out that I put something like 22,000 tonnes through those knees with six times your body rate going through your knee and ankle every ball. And he's had the same and he's still going and he's taken 500 test wickets and he's getting better and better. And the way he talked about how he'd done it as well straight after the game, I just loved the, the simplicity of it.
3: I've put a real focus on not trying to get wickets, if that makes sense. I'm just trying to bowl my best ball, put the, the ball uh, exactly where I want it, on hitting the top of stump as many times as I possibly can. Um, when I get away from that, I, I sometimes can leap runs. So, um, um, a... And what is the secret
1: to getting that consistency? Because probably, is it run up? Is it...
3: Feeling good in your body. I mean, you know, it's what a bit of s- everything. It's a bit of everything. You need you need the timing of your run up to be right. Get you know, talk about being in rhythm and stuff like that. It's, it's the, the timing of uh, the run up, getting the speed right, hitting the crease hard, a- attacking the crease. I like to, you know, really focus on that last few steps in, the, in at the crease, and then, you know, something that, um, if I get stiff, then that snap at the crease sometimes isn't there. But I've really worked hard on that. You know, the rotation of my back, trying to really keep that snap because that's something that um, certainly gets the ball to swing later. Yeah,
1: it's like it applies torque to the ball. I mean, you get that left arm
3: really braced, don't you, and then really yeah. pull it through. Yeah, exactly. And when that gets sort of lazy, then that's when I, I don't bowl as quick and it doesn't swing as much. And So I've really concentrated on that. Um, and, yeah, it's, I think it's a, a number of things that need, you need to come together. But the thing is as well, is I think it, it, it has been a... Um, uh, a bonus that all the games have come quite thick and fast because you, once you're in rhythm you can you sort of feel that the whole way through the summer rather than having a couple of weeks break and then having to try and get back into it
2: Well that was Jimmy talking to you after he picked up his 500th test wicket at Lord's. The amazing thing is of course, the age of 35, England go to Australia for the ashes and it feels now, if there is going to be no Ben Stokes, it's, that quite a lot rests on Jimmy's shoulders And I feel that I'm not too worried about it because
1: I think he's learned from previous experiences of, of, of Australia. I mean, he's had two quite extreme experiences so far. Really, he's had a, a disappointment. If you if you discount 2007, the last two, he was phenomenal in the year that they won the Ashes, and then he was treated a bit like cannon fodder in the the one that Australia won five nil. I think that there's going to be a performance somewhere between the two now. What I liked about talking to him recently was just that he's going to be totally ruthless. He's going to just keep bowling on that relentless line of length, a bit like McGrath used to for Australia. And he'll get rewards because batsmen now are not as disciplined. They're not a particularly good batting side Australia. And I think he, he, he will do well. But what England do obviously need is some pace. And have they got that in their armoury?
2: I'm not sure. And runs as well, I and mean, if they don't score any runs, yeah. then they're going to be under big pressure out there. Just going back to something you, you touched on at the start there about the Women's World Cup. You talked about how important it was for the for the game here. Just imagine though, after Jenny Gunn had dropped that oh. amazing, mm. amazing drop catch, which in a way will always stick in my memory about the final and you know, the salvation that her teammates provided for her. Because imagine living with that for the rest of your life if India had gone on to win. But if India had gone on to win. Imagine the the impact that would have had in India. I think the World Cup in India did have a big impact, anyway. But imagine the mm-hmm. impact if India had gone on to win the World Cup. It's happened before, of course, with the men's game winning the World Cup in 1983, winning the World T20. What about the impact that had with the T20 sort of expanding exponentially? So anyway, that, that's just a thought. Another yeah. big thing that happened this summer as well. I don't know how significant this is. It might just have been a little drop in the ocean. But was that? West Indies victory at Headingley, which was so unexpected after what had taken place at, at Edgbaston. And
1: it was so beautifully executed. It, was, it had real style. It wasn't luck at all. It was real style and thought. And we talked on this podcast to Toby Radford, the West Indies batting coach, of course, formerly from Middlesex, and how they'd apply themselves to the task of playing what is basically two bowling machines... Jimmy Anderson and and Stuart Broad are effectively bowling machines. They can bowl almost to order any delivery that the coach wants them to bowl or they want to bowl. And so they use bowling machines in indoor school to try and combat the way they move bats from around the crease. But it wasn't done in a boring, mechanical way. It was done in a beautifully fluid, certainly in terms of Shea Hope's batting, this lovely, fluent style with lots of really charismatic, idiosyncratic shots the, the whip off his hit like a Gordon Greenwich and the, the dab down to third man was a bit like a Raul Dravid or somebody like that. And he had a really regal pick-up through mid-wicket sort of on the up, a bit like Viv Richards. So, you know, he had all the ingredients of some of the great batsmen and they polished England off the 300-odd to win with three wickets down. It was amazing.
2: It seems so unlikely after what happened at Edgbaston as well. I mean, you, you spoke yeah. to, to Viv... During the Edgbaston Test match, when West Indies cricket was on such a low, it's hard to imagine that they could possibly turn it around. Viv typically, though, was quite upbeat after that terrible
1: Edgbaston defeat. I think one of my other highlights of the summer was the interview I did with him during that game. I mean, just listening to him talk and looking at his eyes and just imagining some of those shots was enough. But here's a little clip of, of what he thought. What about the current West Indies side? What would you do to help West Indies cricket now?
0: They're they're, they're a bunch of talented kids, but they have been in an environment where there's a lot of dogfight, not just maybe the the encounters that they would have had on the field, but off it with the establishment who's supposed to be looking after them and making sure that they prepare themselves to do battle. Um, I just believe now they they lack the mental strength, in, in, in my opinion, and you need people around. Let's forget all this psychology, the psychologists and all these people. The people who have played, people who have an idea how to win and how you should go about winning and have that belief. And these are some of the skills that I think some of these youngsters need today. Some of these youngsters need um, their, 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 their self-confidence not, not as good. You, know, you look at the Indian team walk out on a cricket field in the modern day now. We haven't got that panache as they once had. I think we need to get that back. And the only way you can get that back is having people around them who would have had an idea how wars are fought and how wars can be won. Can you see a, a light at the end of the tunnel? I always say, there's always light. I'm one of these individuals uh, here again. I, I'm one of these individuals who deals with a lot of quotes. Quotes that would have um, been positive to maybe my upbringing as a person, my uh, my life as a sports person, uh, Jesse Jackson. Let's keep hope alive. Well, that's Viv
2: Richards. He talks. His voice is yeah. almost as as
1: wonderful as his batting. He should have made a career out of broadcasting, really, shouldn't he? But he he, he never got that interested. Uh, you know, Michael Holding's obviously made a career out of having that beautiful rich voice, and Viv could have been the same. Wow, he, he was right, though. Keep hope alive. Well, that's, what, that's exactly what happened to to the West Indies. Shea Hope performing that incredible double hundred performance at, at Headingley. I suppose the other thing I'd have to say about Highlight of the Summer was actually, for once, I have to give you some credit.
0: Really? Your, your batting, what have I done? You're batting
1: <laughs> in, that, in that BBC anniversary match. You know, seeing your team, Vaughan's team, to victory with Geoffrey Boycott egging you on, and batted a bit like boycott,
2: I have to say. Well, it was probably the stodgiest match-winning effort ever played in a 2020 match anywhere in the world. I'd probably is that need... a highlight of your cricket career? you not knocked Phil Tuffnell
1: through extra cover for four to win the game.
2: Well, he said Jack Callis hadn't managed it, Viv Richards hadn't managed it, Mark Waugh hadn't managed it, but I managed it. Mind you, Tuffers is over 50 now, so I don't, I don't know, I put too many feathers in my cap, but... And it was a bit of a... Probably a leading edge, was it, as well? No, right, it was, was not. It? it was right off the middle. Oh, it was, was, it? No, sure? it, it was right, no, it was right off the middle. Well, your batting was a
1: lot better than mine, anyway. I wish I hadn't even played in that. And I suppose my highlight of the summer had to be, in the end, seeing a Yorkshire supporter the next day who said, that, that bit, bit of a shocking performance you had in that game, Simon. And I said, well, I shouldn't really have played. And he said, well, you
2: shouldn't have played when you did play. Well, you said Viv sort of talked about the game as well as playing it do you think you're better talk about the game than you are a player of it I think
1: I'm more disciplined I don't think you can be a very good cricketer you know someone asked me the other day I wrote this book about batting and they said well why do you write a book about batting what do you know about batting and I said well nothing about the actual way to do it but I know how to get batsmen out and I think bowlers actually are good commentators because they have to get batsmen out so they can see every little tiny idiosyncrasy of a batsman's technique knowing what they have to focus on to take wickets. So I was able to see batsmen's inadequacies when I was a player, but I wasn't good enough to exploit them. But at least I
2: can talk about them, which is easier. Also, just on batting as well, I mean, we always take the mickey out of you for for writing a book on batting. But if you can't do it very well, but you can do it to a certain standard, Mm. you can understand what that struggle is like for people who, who do find it difficult and actually in, in the book you do talk to a lot of batsmen who were successful but it's all, and also but also failed as well
1: yeah and in fact i mean the, the idea of that book it's just a little good little plug for this book isn't it uh, the idea for that book was really driving back from a test match at Trent Bridge and suddenly my phone went in the car late at night and it was Shane Watson on the phone, the Australian, yeah. asking for advice about batting from me. And I said, well, why are you asking me? And he said, well, you watch the game. You talk to a lot of other batsmen. You've got lots of interesting ideas. I want to know how to convert 50 to 100 more often, and I so I, after a while, when I realised it wasn't a wind-up, it wasn't some one of my mates pretending it to be Shane Watson, I did try and give him some, some feedback, hoping that it might help, and he said, thanks, mate, that, that, that's a real help, and continued to get out for 50 and not make any 100s, and in the end he retired, but I suppose he, he cottoned on to the idea that you just don't have to have made 100 hundreds to be able to talk about batting.
2: I remember once getting a call from a, a top-class Australian Test batsman as well, I'm not believing it was him on the end of the phone. Final story to finish with, when Brian Lara made his 400, of course he took the record from Matthew Hayden. Matthew Hayden somehow or other had my phone number in the press box at the St John's Recreation Ground. I don't know why, I'd done an interview for a Queensland television station. So he phoned the Queensland television station and then phoned me. It took him a long time to persuade me that it was actually him, but basically it was the only way he had of getting through to Brian Lara and congratulating him on his, on his 400. So I had to take my phone into the West Indies dressing room, which was quite an intimidating thing, looking around, Everyone was looking at me. I said, I've got Matthew Hayden on the phone. Then I saw Viv, who I'd worked with on BBC for many years, and he said, oh, hi, Simon, come on in. And then I explained to him and Brian Lara, and Brian Lara had a big chat with Matthew Hayden. That's how they, were, that's how they linked up. But I t- it took me a long time to believe it was him. What a great
1: ruse to get into a, a dressing room and sample the congratulations of an iconic
2: moment. It was, it was It was. a fantastic moment well, I mean, What an incredible moment to be there with Brian Lara, made his 400 Anyway, reminiscences of the season Where the game is Hope you've enjoyed it, we'll speak to you again next week
1: Yeah, we certainly will And we might have Johnny Bairstow on it next week So stay tuned
0: Podcast Network.